Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. I'm Michael Anderson, and today we have Eric Rosenberg. He's quit his job to be a full-time blogger. We've got a great show for you today. You don't want to miss it. And as always, we hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. Michael Anderson, Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. For more information, visit Maranatha.com. It's time for Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson, bringing you a feature interview, a local nonprofit spotlight, and some financial wisdom. Get local and relevant information for the 805. For show notes and more information, go to Maranatha.com. And now, here's your host, Michael Anderson. Today, we have Eric Rosenberg on the program. He's a full-time finance blogger. He has been on CNN, CBC, KISS FM for interviews. He's also been quoting and written articles for numerous publications, including Forbes Magazine, Kiplinger, Entrepreneur Magazine, and numerous guest appearances on podcasts and other media. Eric's also an author. You can find his book on Amazon, The Personal Finance Arsenal, Tools to Save You Time, Money, and Headache. So to learn more or connect with Eric, you can go to his website, which is personalprofitability.com or ericrosenberg.com. Eric, thank you for being on the program today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. A lot of our listeners are, are a little bit older demographic, and they're not fully aware of what a full-time blogger is, or and they might not even know what that means. So it's, it's, it might be kind of like a unicorn, something that just doesn't exist. Share with us what a full-time blogger is. Yeah, absolutely. And I can totally relate to that. I remember I actually didn't tell my parents that I'd started blogging in the beginning. And it was this like coming out of the closet moment explaining to them I'm a blogger. And then that I make money doing it was like a mind blowing thing for them. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know what it is, bloggers have been making money online for probably a little more than a decade. It doesn't go back all that far because the internet doesn't go back that far. When I speak at conferences to other bloggers, I say, did any of you think you were going to be a blogger when you grew up? No, of course not, because it didn't exist yet. So, right. so feel okay that you don't know everything about it. But the main ways that bloggers can make money, there's two primary paths. So the first path is through your own blog, which, as we mentioned, mine's called Personal Profitability. It's not the biggest personal finance blog out there, but there are some huge personal finance blogs. Uh, one that I love is called Get Rich Slowly. It's owned by my friend J.D. Roth. Uh, there's one called Budgets Are Sexy by a blogger who goes by J Money. There's a ton of them. They're all great. But what these bloggers do to make money on their blogs is essentially you have to build a big audience that is interested in either buying a product that you create, whether that's a course or a book, a special podcast series, something like that, or through advertising, which there's kind of two channels there. One is click advertising, like you might see from Google AdSense is their big program. There's some other competitors in the space called media.net and Mediavine. But how those ads work is you'll get like a fraction of a penny every time someone looks at it. And if they click on it, depending on what the ad is for, you might make anywhere from a few cents to you know, five or $10. It depends on the industry. Financial products tend to pay more per click than something like, I don't know, kids toys, just because the cost and the value of customers there. The other route to make money 
on your blog through advertising is what's called affiliate advertising. And that's where the biggest money is made that I've seen. If you go to a site called Smart Passive Income, the guy who runs that's named Pat Flynn. He's an awesome guy. He does income reports similar to the ones I do, except he has an extra zero on the end of his. <laughs> and he makes about hundred to $200,000 a month from affiliate blogging. So how that works is you know, he'll write about a product that he loves or uses himself. And if someone clicks and then signs up, he gets a commission on that. So as a user, you don't pay more because you went through his link, but because he was their referral channel, the company that makes that product or service is happy to pay him a few bucks. So that's one way to make money in a nutshell from your own blog. The other side is how I make most of my money online, and that's as a freelancer writing for other blogs. So when I started my own blog, I didn't realize I was writing my new resume for a new career path that I wasn't even sure I wanted yet. I had two finance degrees. I went to business school. I, wasn't, I didn't go to journalism school. Because of my blog and going to conferences every year, one namely called FinCon, it's a financial blogging and media conference, I got to know companies that create financial products and services, you know, different banks, financial technology startups. And they started to approach me and said, hey, we love what you're doing. We love your website. Would you write for us? We'll pay you. And I thought, well, sure, pay me. I'll write whatever the heck you want. This is great. If I can make money when I'm you know, at home on evenings or weekends, that is amazing. So that's how it all started for me. And it started way back in October 2008. That's when I started what became personal profitability. And it was eight years of hard work. And I was an overnight success, able to quit my job and work from home as a full-time blogger. So it's been two years that you've been a full-time. This is your only source of income. Yes. And what you're doing now. So that's, I mean, that's remarkable. I think that's very unique uh, to be able to do that. And it, but it makes sense that it's been a growth structure over those 10 years where you kind of fell into it happenstance and then it's grown over time into something that's, that's very good income. So oh, absolutely. very, very interesting. Well, let's talk about this. How did you decide or kind of the backstory of getting into finance blogging as opposed to some other type of blogging? It started because I love finance. It's, uh, it's just what I love. And I talk to a lot of people who are interested in blogging. And I say, write about something that you love that there's also an audience for. So you might be really into competitive duck herding. Like, that's a thing. I, I found it. I Googled it. But there's probably not that many people who want to read your blog on competitive duck herding. When I write about finance, you know, everybody has money. Most people have bank accounts, credit cards, things like that. So I knew there would be an audience there. Uh, my background, as I'd mentioned, is in finance. I went to the University of Colorado, go Buffs, <laughs> to get my undergrad finance degree. Uh, my grandpa was actually a college marketing professor at the University of Arkansas. Uh, so we have some hog blood in our family as well. It's always been a part of my family and part of my life growing up. So I was always into money. Uh, but it wasn't until I left a job working in a bank, which was my first job after college, that I started my first personal finance blog. I blogged a little bit before, going back to 2006, uh, just like hobby, personal blog kind of stuff. Uh, when I started my personal finance blog, though, having had that experience, I knew a little bit more about blogging, about audience building, about connecting with people online. So that's how it happened. It was just this little idea. I left working at the bank and thought, well, I know how mortgages work. I approved them. I know how credit scores work. I underwrote loans. I have a finance degree. That's something most people don't have. And I was reading all these other personal finance blogs by people who'd gotten into a ton of debt and were blogging their journey to fix their money. And I thought to myself, 
Well, I've never been in big debt. I've always been good with my money, and I had credentials. Why don't I write about this? Exactly. That's how it started. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, some of the stuff you put on there. By the way, your the website, Personal Profitability, there's so much information on there. So you've written a lot of articles. There's a lot of podcasts that you've been running as well where you're producing content and interviewing other people and just aggregating information. I did notice there's a lot of good credit information. And I I know as a society, we have a lot of credit card debt in America. It's staggering. Talk to our listeners about credit card and what value can you share about uh, credit cards? Yeah, so there's two big ways to look at credit cards. It seems like today we're finding things that have two camps, right? (laughs) So uh, I'm a big fan of credit cards. I love the credit card industry, but I've also never paid a penny of credit card interest. When you look at credit cards as a consumer, you have to think, what am I getting back from this? How is it helping my finances? And what risks are there that could hurt my finances? So if you're the kind of person who you should know yourself, get to know your habits, if you will get a new credit card in the mail and the first thing you do is drive over to the big box store to buy a new TV or a laptop or fancy electronic or you know designer purse, whatever your thing is, you probably shouldn't be using a lot of credit cards. But for me, I use credit cards as I'm kind of a travel hacker is the the common term online. So I'll use credit cards, I'll earn those big sign-up bonuses from different credit cards, you know, American Express, Chase, all the the different brands, Barclay card, each have their own cards and different cards have different bonuses. And then you can earn more points as you spend and cash those points in for free trips. Like just before I married my wife, when she was still the girlfriend, I took her to my cousin's wedding in Israel and our flights from Denver to Israel were $72.50 each way. So $150 round trip each, I got to take my wife to Israel. And that's just because of credit cards. Because you're using the points. Yes. You accrued points and now you're cashing those in and it's just, you know, the tax or or some minimal fee. Exactly. That's that's fantastic. No, that's brilliant. And my brother's been getting into that as far as using points and building them up in a smart way. That's almost uh, turning the game of credit cards on on its head, flipping it over the other way to say, you know, how can we benefit from points rather than paying the credit card companies all of this interest. I think that's very, very interesting. Let's talk about this. With your personal profitability website and setting that up, there's a lot of data that you can see when you're doing online, using online tools. So oh, yeah. how, how much do you rely on using those online tools and seeing the data? Like for example, with radio, we don't always know how many people are listening. We'll get some reports, but we don't know for sure. But online, you, you get actual data. You can see oh, how yeah. many people, how many people listened, how many people downloaded, how many people read your article. How much do you use that and how valuable is that? Uh, It's incredibly valuable, and I don't use it enough. (laughs) There are many bloggers out there who use it a lot. There's a lot of ways you can use this data. So I think part of why I have been very successful as a freelance writer is I have this grand expertise, if you will, on different finance topics. And I'll go write for companies who they don't know as much about the writing part, but they're really good. They might have someone whose full-time job is data analytics. And they will look at all of the results of every blog post me and every other writer has put on that website and look for the trends and topics that work really well and the ones that don't work well. 
And just like in personal finance or entrepreneurship, if you focus on what's been working and keep repeating that, you'll probably do well. That's a, a big key to success, I think, in anything in life. And that is definitely true in blogging. Actually, early on, I remember looking in my Google Analytics and I saw one post that stuck out was getting way more traffic than anything else. To me, it wasn't the best thing I'd ever written, but it was what people were searching for. It was what mm -hmm. people wanted to know. Like if you go onto Google and you just type in a couple words and you see it auto-complete and give you a few suggestions, a lot of bloggers will type in, let's say, credit cards and see all the different phrases that were auto-completed because that tells us as bloggers what you guys as the readers, as the Googlers want to know. That's what you're searching for. So we can take that information and data from other similar sources and use that to decide what we want to write about or talk about or create videos about, whatever we're doing online. Um, the best things either come from either a real personal story, because people love that, you know, connecting with, with stories and people, right. or looking at that data and just finding out what people want to know. Because if you write about, as we said, like competitive duck herding, sorry, duck herders, not a lot of people <laughs> Googling for that. I think that's fascinating. So they're the keywords and the things that people are searching for, trying to give them what they're looking for in some ways. Um, well, we had uh, Tim Gallagher in the studio a couple weeks ago. He was the Ventura County Star newspaper editor for over 20 years, and he was talking about how newspapers are going away and how people are consuming media and information and news in different sources. Um, can you talk to us about that? What's the future of news and where we get information? And what's the future of blogging? Is that still going to be relevant or is that going away too? I think he was on to something. It's, it's sad to say that newspapers have been in a huge decline, but that is the trend. It seems like the one big investor who still loves newspapers is Warren Buffett. He's been snatching up uh, small town newspapers all around the country. And I do think that small local newspapers do fill a very valuable role because, you know, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever one of those you like or don't like, you know, they're not going to cover those local stories. Like here in Ventura, we're a small-ish county as far as population. We're not going to get the same coverage as you'd get down in Los Angeles. It is sad to me that these papers are shrinking, but it's true. It's because people like me, I've never subscribed to a newspaper as an adult. I did uh, in college. I got the Wall Street Journal as a while for a while because I got a student rate, but I don't subscribe to a paper newspaper because I search for everything online. But I actually do subscribe to the Washington Post online um, not a, that's you know not local. That's more for work. You know, I, I need to have that kind of research available for things I'm writing about. I think bloggers are a big part of why that's happening. They're also the bright spot in that decline of newspapers. And a, a good example is during the Thomas fire, which you know everybody in this county very much felt recently. I was actually evacuated from my home. I live about a block from the fire line. We had a baby while we were evacuated. But before we had the baby, while we were getting ready to leave our house, I took a bunch of videos and put them on Twitter. And big you know, international news publications noticed that and had me on to talk about that. You know, that's citizen journalism. And it's, in a lot of ways, replacing what the newspapers were doing. I could find information about instantly about that fire, which is what I needed when I was worried about it burning down my house from Twitter. I wasn't you, getting you that. Were, yeah, you were following VC Scanner. Yes, right? exactly. And that was amazing. The guy did amazing work with VC Scanner. I, he could have saved lives. He's incredible. Uh, so th this online growth 
is just the next evolution in media. Newspapers have been a huge media source for so long. But we're doing the same thing. You know, we're listening to this. You might be listening to it on the radio over a broadcast, or you might be listening to it as a podcast that you downloaded. So there's a lot of opportunity for overlap in those industries. So I don't know if newspapers are just going to go away. I think they will have to continue to evolve. And we're seeing some of that evolution, the good and bad of it. You know, if you look at a newspaper today, you might find typos in it that you wouldn't have seen 10 years ago because they had to lay off their editing desks, right. which is a big negative. But there are still reporters out there reporting the stories. And I think as long as that happens and we all have a way to get to those stories, that's what it's really about. And if it's a newspaper or a website, the same story is the same story. Well, I, and I agree with you. And I, But I, I also think that it's difficult because it's open source journalism. We're getting it from everywhere. But that lends itself to less objectivity. Yes, and, that's true. And so that, that part, I think, to sift through it all to find out, well, what is actually, you know, objective news is getting the increasingly more difficult. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But I want to have you give our listeners some blogs and podcasts that they can look up so they can Google them. Everyone should definitely check out your site, personalprofitability.com. But let's start with blogs. Give me uh, maybe three blogs, financial or non-financial, that people should check out. Yeah, sure. Uh, first one that comes to mind, I already mentioned Smart Passive Income. I am like addicted. Pat Flynn is amazing. I've gotten to meet him in person. He's just awesome at everything he does. If you read his stuff, the personal finance or entrepreneurship stuff, clear out the next 20 to 30 minutes in your calendar because you're going to have a big to-do list to follow up. One that I'm enjoying lately is The Points Guy. That is all about credit card miles and points. I actually got to meet him at a conference I spoke at uh, called CardCon in the fall and he was an awesome guy and that website is an incredible like mind-blowing resource it's hard when you know so many bloggers Um, there's one that i love i'll give a shout out to my friend philip taylor pt money he's down in dallas he's actually the guy who organizes the financial blogger conference every year such a genuine guy and trying to help people to fix up their money so if you are starting at the basics of personal finance and just need to clean up your financial situation, learn more about like what investing means and how to do it without losing your shirt in the process, things like that. Uh, PT is a great website to check out. Real quick, three podcasts to yes. check out. One I love is the Youpreneur podcast from Chris Ducker. That's a great one. He is uh, originally from the UK. Another one I love, Smart Passive Income. I mentioned the website. Check out the podcast too. A third one that I've been enjoying lately is a podcast that comes from Puerto Rico by John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire. I'm looking through your playbook, the Personal Profitability Playbook. This is a free download after I kind of put in my email address. And this is fantastic. It's 13 pages. So the first thing it says, spend less, earn more. Talk about that. Personal finance and dieting and personal health have so much in common and people often don't think about the overlaps. So the big thing I think they have in common, like you could go to the gym, where actually we met the two of us, you could go to the gym and spend eight hours a day on a treadmill. But if all you do is go home and eat cake and pizza, you probably won't lose weight. That's because your input can go on forever, but your output, how much you exercise, has a limit to it. Same thing happens with money. Your output is your budget. It's how much you spend. And you can budget so much. You, know, you, should, you should be budgeting. It's an important financial skill. So you look at how much you spend on housing, food, transportation, every little detail of where your money goes, there shouldn't be any surprises in there. You should know where your money's going, and that should reflect what's most important to you. 
And if it doesn't, then you need to really think about where you're spending your money and why you're spending on the places you are. But you should focus on that budget, look at big wins, things like recurring costs like cable TV. That's an easy place to cut and save money. You know, Big things like cars, you know, leasing a car. If you lease a car at the average cost of leasing a car today, over 40 years over your career, including interest that you would have lost from investing, that costs you over a million dollars compared to driving an old clunker and just keeping it going. So really do think about the budget. But on the flip side, you can earn forever. There is no cap to how much money you can make. Let's talk about that for a second. So I know you're big on the side hustle. Talk about growing income or a side hustle, and let's put that into context a little bit. Side hustles, if you've never heard of a side hustle, it's like not a second job, it's a second income source outside of your primary job. For me, my whole career, my whole income today started as a side hustle. So don't knock the side hustle because you never know where it's going to go. And for me, it turned into a six-figure income that let me leave my job in gray cubicle land. Side hustles can be any kind of way you can think of to make money. An easy way to start is something like driving for Uber or Lyft. Or if you have an extra room in your house you never use, setting it up to rent out as an Airbnb. Uh, so that's kind of more... Some of that, though, is more time for money. If you can build yourself an asset, something like a business, like a website, a kind of business that has employees, something that will scale, that's even better. So for me, the, the trail works. And a lot of people, I think, do something similar where they start with the time for money side hustles. And once they build that up to a point that they don't have to spend as much time you know, hustling for the dollars anymore, that they have that regular income they can count on that has grown, then they start to focus more on those asset things. Like right now I'm working on developing a couple of apps. I'm doing things that will hopefully pay me when I sleep. But today I have to be awake to get paid and do a little work for it. But, but it all started as a side hustle. So please do that. You can pay off your debt. You can save for college, send your kids to college, save for your retirement, which most baby boomers today have not done like they should. Even Gen X is behind. This can can change your life. It changed my life. It can change anybody's life. Eric Rosenberg is our guest today. We've had a pleasure speaking together. You can check out his website, which is personalprofitability.com, or you can go to ericrosenberg.com. Thank you so much, Eric. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here's a local group we want you to know about, Nonprofit Spotlight. Today's Spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Today we have our guest, Carla Scanzio. She's the chair, co-chair of the charity luncheon and tennis tournament for the Meadowlark Service League. It's a nonprofit. You can find them online at meadowlarkserviceleague.com. Carla, thank you for being on the program. My pleasure. Thank you. So the Meadowlark Service League has been around for over 40 years in Ventura County. And this is a women's group. You guys come together and support community needs. So tell us more about the objective with the Meadowlark Service League. The basic objective is just to raise money. We have a big luncheon in June, and uh, we distribute the money to uh, all Ventura County charities. Last year, we did we distributed $220,000 to uh, 33 different charities in uh, Ventura County. That's wonderful. That's a lot of money. I did see the list. A lot of money. We work hard. 
<laughs> yeah, you do. You do. The Meadowlark Service League puts together three major funding events each year. And so this includes a Taste of Camarillo, Homes for the Holidays, and then the big one coming up, which is coming up Monday, March 5th, Correct. is the Charity Luncheon and Tennis Tournament. So that's coming up March 5th. Give us some details about this event. It's an absolutely fantastic event. You can register for the event to do just lunch, or you can go and play tennis and have the luncheon. We have a um, fantastic live auction. And one of the one of the items uh, in the live auction this year is a, a week at the um, a home in the desert at, in Rancho Mirage. That will be auctioned off. And we also have a um, signed Roger Federer tennis ball. He just became the number one in the world, so that's going to be fantastic. We have a silent auction. We have a raffle. We have a fantastic lunch provided by the chef at Las Posas Country Club. We're using the courts at Las Posas Country Club and Spanish Hills Country Club also. It's a great event. We run it every year, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And that's taking place Monday, March 5th. People can get their tickets at MeadowLarkServiceLeague.com. How can the community support what you're doing and get involved? What are some ways that they can be a part of uh, this good work you're doing? Well, basically, just by attending uh, attending the events, the Taste of Camarillo, where we have uh, almost 3,000 people come every year, just attending the events and helping us contributing so that we can give all these um, organizations like the Alzheimer's Association, Camarillo Arts Council, Camarillo YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club. Those are all recipients of um, all the money that we raise. And you can visit the website online for the Meadowlark Service League. The website is MeadowlarkServiceLeague.com. Our guest today is Carla Scanzio. Thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure. Thank you. What's in the news? This segment is brought to you by FamilyMoneyClass.com. You're never too old or too early to learn about money. Use promo code KVTA for a 50% discount. Check out FamilyMoneyClass.com. What's in the news this week? We have Tim Gallagher, former editor of the Ventura County Star, as our news correspondent. Tim can be reached at the2020network.com. Let's dive right into it. Tim, What's in the news this week? Mike, I thought there was a real interesting story in the Star on Sunday that tells us something we probably already knew. California, particularly Southern Californians, we're in love with our cars. There's a major study released by the Southern California Association of Governments that showed almost anywhere you live in Southern California, mass transit ridership is sinking. People are not taking the buses or trains like people had hoped to. And the number of cars that people own is going up. So you may have, you know, a four-person household with six cars out there in the driveway or parked on the street somewhere. It's just, you know, affirmation of what we see because I don't know about you guys, but, you know, every morning I get that chance to drive into Ventura and the traffic starts backing up over the bridge or I'll be coming home in the evening and you get to Camarillo and it's backing up there. And these freeways are just getting really, really crowded because we're all in love with our cars. There's a citizens group out there that wants to uh, revive a, a sales tax that would help raise money to uh, do a federal a match to the federal money so that we could widen the freeways out here in Ventura. It's been tried. The tax has been tried twice before. It's failed, but uh, that citizens group is still out there. And here they're going to be coming back around again in 2020 because without that, Mike, we don't get the federal money to widen our freeways and it goes other places. So I think it'll be around. It hurts you a little bit in the pocketbook, but boy, would it be nice to save on some of that freeway congestion. Tim, can you talk to me about the bullying issue? We saw that in the news this week. And of course, the gun stuff going on with schools and safety in schools. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Sure. Um, you know, I've been involved with the Ventura Unified School District, helping them out a little bit with some of their messaging. But, you know, the problem has been at Balboa Middle School over the past year or so. They've had an unusual number of bullying incidents, fighting incidents there on the campus. Things getting a little bit out of control. So the new superintendent for the district, Dave Cresswell, has been on the job about six months. He's coming in, taking a lot of actions. He's replaced the principal. He's doubled the number of uh, adult supervisors on the campus. He's uh, trying to put the onus not only on the school district, but back on the parents where it belongs. Because, you know, this stuff has been going on for a long time, of course. It probably happened when we were kids, too. It's a little scarier these days. It's a little worse. And, my gosh, nowadays they beat up a kid and somebody's got a video camera running. And they, they record it and give it to the, you know, the TV station. It's just not right, and it's got to stop, but it's a community problem we all got to work on. And this is Tim Gallagher. He's sharing with us what's in the news. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Mike. Talk to you next week. You're tuned in to Big Money in the 805 with Michael Anderson. Now it's time for Michael to go to the mailbag and answer some questions from listeners. Mailbag, we answer your questions about money and financial matters. Brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance. Golf, athletic, and social memberships. Visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy 805-388-5000. Here's our first question. 98% of other financial advisors are not fee-only. What is a fee-only financial advisor and how are they different? Well, thank you for that question. A fee-only financial advisor is someone that does not accept a commission for anything that they do, anything that they recommend, anything that they sell. And it's also someone that's a fiduciary. They're working on your best interest always. That's a binding law. So they're working on your behalf. A traditional financial advisor that's not fee-only, they can recommend products that pay them a commission. And sometimes it's something that's suitable, but it may not be in your best interest. So there's a big difference there. Next up, there's more information than ever before, but also more confusion than ever before. What is financial planning versus what is investment advisory? There's a big difference here, and I appreciate this question as well. Financial planning, you're trying to strategically look at what decisions should be made. And so in that case, you may pay someone a little bit of money just to say, hey, talk to me, tell me what I should be doing. Am I allocating my 401k right? Look at my investment. Should we be buying this house? Should we be buying this additional piece of property? Should we be paying off this debt or that debt first? There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of questions. You're not sure which to do. So financial planning is helping you strategically make those decisions and just paying someone for their time to help you do that. Investment advisory is you're managing someone's money and based on how much you're managing, uh, they're, they're charging some form of a percentage of the assets under management to pay for their advisory service. So that's the difference. And our final question, how do people that sell annuities get paid? They say that there is no fee. They've got to make something. I just don't know what they make. When annuities, annuities are a product, and I don't like to say that they're bad, um, but I like to just say that it's a very high commission product. So when someone uh, is selling you an annuity, or if you have an annuity, and when that was sold, there was a one-time commission that was, you know, a very high percentage. It could be anywhere from two, three, four, 
seven, eight, nine percent commission that was made on just the sell of that annuity. So you want to be mindful of that. They're not all bad, but if you have annuities and you want to review, it's good to talk to a fee-only advisor and just, you know, should I keep this? Does it make sense for me to do that? Should I look at getting out of this? Just where do I go from here? I don't want to pay any commissions and, and they are paid. Nobody's going to be working for free. If someone's going to give you a hundred dollar gift card to sit with them, then, you know, you got to think that they're probably benefiting in a much larger way if you decide to purchase it. They're making money. It's just the fee is baked into the product. If you have a question for the mailbag, send an email to tom at kvta.com. And that does it for our show today. Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. A special thanks to Greg Mock from Geico Local Office and Dan Boyd from Boyd & Associates providing security here in the 805. If you have questions about the show or questions about your financial matters, you can always contact me online at marinantha.com. That's M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com or leave a message on my answering service, 805-665-3767. Have a great week and join us again next time. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805-665-3767. Do you ever question if your investments are right for you? Do you own any annuities, retirement accounts, or have other money you want help with? Have you ever wondered what your advisor is making or how they get paid? Get a free second opinion. Talk with Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. Call his answering service today, 805-665-3767. Leave a message and get a call back immediately, 805-665-3767.